Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Let's jump into this week's message. We are in the third week of a series that we're calling Travel Plans. And if you haven't been here for this, the idea is that God takes us on a journey and obviously he takes everybody on a spiritual journey. And what I mean by that is that God made you uniquely, specifically, unlike anybody else. The Bible says that God knows every single hair on your head. Think about that for a second. He knows how many hairs you have. You don't know that. That means that God knows you better than you know yourself. He designed you in a way that if you would get on his path and you would walk on the path that he has designed for you, it is the best place for you to live out who it is he's called you to be to live out what it is he's put on your life. He's got a plan. He's got something special for you, but you're going to have to either follow his plan, his path, his journey, or you're going to go do your own thing. And we started this series by looking at Abram, a guy who later becomes known as Abraham. Abram is this old man in the middle of nowhere or just hanging out and he has nothing to him other than the fact that God puts his hand on him and says, Abram, I want to use you to create a great nation. And I'm going to use that nation to send my only begotten son into the world to save it. Abram was the patriarch, the beginning founder of what we call the Jewish or Israelite nation. And way back on his journey, what we looked at in Genesis was God just said, start walking towards a land that I'll give you. I won't tell you where it is. Just start walking. And when you get there, I'll give it to you, what we call the promised land right now. And and his journey part of Abram's journey was just to trust God, even though he didn't know where it was going to end up. We looked at last week, a guy named Samson, who as much as he had strength and he had God's hand on him and God had a very special gifting on his life, he still jacked it all up because of romance. And we looked at how relationships often pull us off into the wrong path. Today, this weekend, I want us to jump back to the story of Abram, but I don't want to focus on Abram this time or Abraham. I don't want to focus on him or really even on his wife, Sarah. I actually want to focus on a different character, a girl named Hagar and how God takes her on a journey. Because I think we all have a spiritual journey, but what we've been looking at in this series is how sometimes he uses a physical journey, a trip for Abraham walking to the promised land or, or Samson leaving his home village and going to Gaza and, and, and how these physical trips often parallel a spiritual journey that God has for us. So today we're going to read, you ready for this? We're going to read an entire chapter. Some of you have never done that and you're going to get to do that today. It's not a long one. It's Genesis chapter 16. Most of you have not heard this story before. So I want you to lean into this story because it's not well talked about, but it's incredibly important. Here's where the story starts. We're going to look at Genesis 16, verse number one. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, now this is before they get their names changed. Eventually, they get changed to Abraham and Sarah. But before that happens, it's Sarai and Abram. Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children. Now, remember, God called them out of their their family, out of their circle, out of their civilization. But Abram was 75 years old when he started trusting God. These are old people. And they don't have any kids. They're only getting older, I mean. That's what I mean. That's what I meant by that. They're only getting older. And they don't have any kids yet. I mean, they're at grandparent age, and they don't even have a baby yet. And God is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make your descendants huge. I'm going to give you an entire nation. And they're going, how is that possible? She had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian handmaid, a servant, 
named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant, Hagar, and perhaps I can have a daughter through her. And Abram agreed. (laughs) Sure, honey, if that's what you want. Um, Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. I have a whole message on that I won't get to. Uh, So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So now he's 85 and he's sleeping with her. And he says, Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew that she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. So Sarai goes to Abram and goes, this is all your fault. (laughs) And I imagine he's like, what'd you think was gonna happen? It's all another message, but do you ever get what you asked for and then you were mad that you asked for it? This is all your fault. I put my servant in your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt and the Lord's gonna show who's wrong, you or me. And I can just see Abram going, I ain't got the energy for this. I'm not putting up with this. Literally, Abram replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar. Now watch this. Hagar treats Sarai bad, so Sarai cries to Abram. Abram says, go do whatever you want. You take care of it. And her response is to go treat Hagar bad. She treats Hagar so poorly, so harshly, that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring. Now listen, when I say she ran away, you gotta understand, she is an Egyptian girl living in the land of Canaan, so she's a foreigner, she's not welcome. She's not only an Egyptian, but she's a servant or a slave, so she has no value And if she did have value, it was negated by the fact that she was a woman and then the fact that she's pregnant. She would have been less valuable in society at this time than the common stray dog would have been. She's got nothing to live for. She runs away into the desert. She finds a little water there and this is where the angel runs into her. God sends an angel. And you need to understand why this is important. Hagar had no part of the promise that God made to Abraham or Sarah. He promised Abraham and Sarah that he was going to do something special through them. Hagar was not a part of that. And yet, in God's mercy and grace, he reaches out and he extends that mercy and grace onto Hagar because he loves her too. You need to understand how God works. Even in somebody else's screw-ups, God can still bless. He reaches out to Hagar and says, The angel of the Lord found her beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to shore. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, Where have you come from and where are you going? Well, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she says. The angel of the Lord told her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count, which would have been the only thing in culture back then that would have added value to her would be for her to be able to produce a lot of children or offspring. And and what the Lord's telling her is, I'm going to use you and I'm going to create a great nation out of you as well. Just like I said I was going to do through Sarah, and I still will, I'll also give it to you, Hagar. And he says, uh, he says, return to your mistress to her. I've added, uh, you know, um, then he said, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you're now pregnant and you'll give birth to a son, which has been an incredibly big deal to her. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. Have you ever been on a journey where you just didn't think God could hear you? 
You didn't think God saw you. You didn't think that God was a part of it. Now, maybe it was something that's bad that happened to you, or maybe it's something bad that you did, but either way, you find yourself on a journey where you're going, God, where are you at? God shows, says up, shows up and says, hey, here's a reminder. I, I heard you. I heard you. You didn't think I did, but I did. This son of yours, now here's where the prophecy comes in. This son of yours, this Ishmael, he's going to be a wild man. He'll be as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will raise their fists against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all of his relatives. This is very prophetic over her son, Ishmael. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord. The Lord who had spoken to her, she said, you are the God who sees me. So now we know he's the God who hears. And then she says, you're the God who sees, El Rahoy or Rohi. And she says, I have truly seen the one who sees me so that so that, that well that she was at, that watering spot, was then named Ber Laha Leroy, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar goes back to Abram and she gives Abram a son and Abram named him Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. All right, so we have this really cool story that a lot of people don't talk about. Because it kind of exposes that Sarai and Abram didn't always make the right choices. I want you to go back and I want you to look at verse number two. What did Sarai say in verse number two? She goes to Abram and she says, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Whose fault is it? This is God's fault. Now, God's the one that promised that he would give us kids. But since he hasn't done it quickly enough, I'm going to solve my problems my way, said nobody in this room. Her impatience for the way that God was not answering what she thought she needed caused her to make a huge mistake. There was no need to put poor Hagar in that position. But Sarai was, she was nervous. She felt, she felt like she had to solve it, right? She's embarrassed. She, she's impatient. See, what we have is we have a Burger King spirituality today. I want it my way right away. And if God doesn't serve it up the way I want it, I'm taking back control. I'm going to do things my way. This is what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse number 25. If we look forward to something we don't yet have, I'm looking forward to it. I want this. I think that God's put this for me. I think God has this for me. Last week we talked it could be marriage or a romantic relationship. This might be a job. This might be a calling on your life. This might be children. This might be something for your future. Who knows what it is that God has for you? <coughs> but you're looking forward to it. You feel like God has called you to it. If you don't yet have it, then you have to wait patiently and confidently. If you guys would just focus on loving God and waiting patiently and confidently, it would take up all your bandwidth. You wouldn't have the energy to worry about what everybody else is doing. I don't like you preaching that. Yeah, well, it's because it's true. <laughs> you're all wrapped up. You're all anxious and nervous about everything you see in the world. And you're all mad about what so-and-so did or the neighbor who didn't do this or the coworker who did that or your brother or sister who said this. If you would just focus on waiting patiently and confidently in God, that would take up all, almost all your time. You don't have to worry about all this stuff. 
See, what you and I do is we get bent out of sorts because we can't see how it's going to work out for us, so we try to take back control. Here's what I want you to write down. Don't try to control the circumstances of your life, the things that are going. Don't try to control the circumstances just because you can't see the, the conclusion. When you, when you get to a place where you're like, I don't see how this is working out, so I'll take over. It's like driving a car with somebody who's a backseat driver. And if you know that person, you can elbow them right now. Actually, don't. Don't elbow them. But what, if you've ever driven with a backseat driver, they're the worst. You're sitting there, and I, they, they might be in the side seat. Doesn't they don't actually be in the back? There's somebody who thinks that they can help you drive better than you're currently driving. Oh, slow down. Oh, the light's red. You see that stop sign? Oh, oh, oh speed up. We're not going fast. Oh, you got to merge. Oh, over there. Would you? Slow up. Shut up. I'm driving. If you're not laughing, you're probably the person doing it. Um, it's annoying. Like, just, just be honest with me. If I asked you to go on a road trip and I said, hey, why don't you drive? We're going to go on this road trip. And you're driving on the road trip. And then periodically, I would just stick my foot over and I'd press on the gas pedal on top of yours. You guys meet up a little bit. Or I'd reach over and I'd slam on the brakes for you because I didn't think you were stuck. Or, or randomly, we're going down the highway. I would just reach over, grab the steering wheel, like, this is our exit. And we're going to do it. Like, how would you, how would you feel? Would you feel like I actually trusted you to drive the car? No. Do you guys understand that's exactly what your spiritual life looks like when you say that Jesus is the Lord of your life, but then you try to call all the shots? See, the driver's seat of your life is reserved for the God of your life. And if that is Christ, then he drives and you're the passenger. But what you and I try to do is we try to take control because we don't see where he's heading. We don't see where he's taking us. And so we immediately do a Sarai. Let me fix it. I got a, I got a plan, God. This is how I'm going to fix it. All you're going to do is mess it up. <laughs> Psalms 37 verse 7 says this, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about all the evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry, exclamation point. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. The wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust the Lord will possess the land. What it's talking about here is you can't be in control and be surrendered. Don't tell me about how much you love God when you're the one that's making all the decisions on what you're going to do, what you're going to say, how you're going to do it, when you're going to do it, where you're going to go, what you're going to give, when you're going to do this, how you're going to, like, you're the one in control. Don't tell, don't say that you're following God. Don't say that you love God. Don't say that you're a surrendered Christian. You're the boss of your life. That means you're the God of your life. You're trying to sprinkle a little Jesus on it to make yourself feel better at the end. That's not the same. Go on with the story. But pastor, it worked out. <laughs> It worked out for her. I mean, she got blessed with a son and a great nation that came from her and all these things that happened. Do you understand who Ishmael's descendants are? The descendants of Ishmael are what we commonly refer to as many of the Arab nations right now. The Arabs are Ishmael's descendants. Do you know who Isaac, who is the son that, that Abraham has with Sarai? Abram and Sarah have a son named Isaac. His descendants are the Jews, the Israel nation. Do you think those families are getting along very well today? Oh, but, well, that's just one story. What about, what about Jacob? He had four wives, you know, and that worked out well for him. See here, 
let me, let me just say this. We have this, these cards that we've been putting on your seats and we have them, and uh, even though they're not on your seats today, they, they're out spread around the building for a series called You Ask For It. And what I'm doing is uh, I'm, I'm asking our church to, to submit questions, things you don't understand about the Bible or things that you wish that God had explained or just questions you have for me. And I'm gonna try to do a series called You Ask For It and we'll talk about some of the things that are confusing or things that, that you just wanna know more about. Um, and, and somebody submitted a question. I'm actually gonna answer it right now. Somebody submitted a question already that said, hey, why is it okay for polygamy in the Old Testament, but it's not okay in the New Testament? See, what, you, what you're misunderstanding is it wasn't okay in the Old Testament. Well, it happened a lot. Does, that does not mean that it was God's best. We just have laws against it today. That wasn't God's plan. Hagar having a kid with Abram was not God's plan. Did God providentially show up in his grace and his mercy and do something amazing in Hagar's life? Yes, because he's a good God. But we have to stop looking at things in the Bible or in people's lives around us and saying that that means that it's okay. There's, when, like when I went to seminary, they, they teach you this hermeneutical principle. And if you ever want to get, really get into studying the Bible, you got to understand this. There's a lot of things you got to understand, but there's something you need to really look into, which is the fact that the narrative is not the normative. That's a principle they teach you. The narrative is not the normative. What I mean by that is if I wrote the Bible... If it was man-written, we would take out all the crappy mistakes and all the things that they shouldn't have done. Like, oh, they were perfect. They did everything great. But see, the Bible isn't written like that. God gave us the Bible, and he tells us the stupid stuff that people do. Why? Because Proverbs 21.11 says, if you punish a mocker, the simple-minded become wise. If you instruct the wise, they will be all the wiser. Proverbs 1 verse 5 says, a wise man hears and increases in learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. What does that mean? If somebody else pays a stupid tax for you, you don't have to pay it. You can learn from their mistakes. Their mistakes are recorded not so that you go, oh, see, we're supposed to do that. Did, did Jacob had four wives? Yes. Should he have had four wives? No. Every time you see polygamy in, in the Bible, it's a sign of someone's rebellion against God's best for their life. Oh, how do you mean that? Because those four wives gave him the 12 sons that are the 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah, you don't think God could have done that through Leah? He absolutely could have. Jacob just couldn't stand only having Leah. Rachel was cuter. So he added a lot of drama to his family. And then when Rachel and Leah couldn't have babies anymore, they both gave him their own handmaids. I don't know what's up with this family giving their handmaids away as one. But they give up their handmaids, and then they have, and, and all it did was create drama where Jacob's sons hate each other because they have different mamas. You know what would have been best for that family? For all those boys to come from the same mom? But they didn't because they, those people messed up God's plan. Now, will God take messed up people and their messed up plan and turn it for good? Yes, Romans 8.28 says that he does. He'll take what's bad and he can make it good because he's good. But the Bible doesn't say there won't be ramifications. Will God cover your sin? Absolutely. Will God take a lot of your past screw-ups and turn them for ultimate good? Absolutely he can. Does that mean there won't be any collateral damage? No. By the way, what really ticks me off with adults doing stupid stuff with their love life is that the kids tend to be the collateral damage. But here's what you need to understand. The damage even in this is what you see today. 
See, God promised Abraham that he and Sarah would have a descendant, that's Isaac, and that he would make a great nation. And ultimately that nation, the Jewish nation, would be the, the same group that he brings his son, the deliverer, through. Isaac's son, Jacob, gets changed to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. One of them is named Judah. The tribe of Judah is where you see Jesus being born into it. God knew that plan thousands and thousands of years earlier when he told Abram in the book of Genesis, go to the land that I will give you, the promised land, where he is when this story takes place. So when you watch the news and you hear crap like, well, the Jews have only been there since 1945. No, they haven't. They, they were recognized as a nation by politics, Thousands of years after God recognized them. And so what's happening today, now listen, I don't get political in our church. You'll never know who I vote for, and I'll never tell you who to vote for. I will tell you how you should vote, because I think we're blessed enough to live in a country that gives us a say. So we should, as Christians, we should take that into account and exercise that right uh, to vote. But I don't, tell you how, I don't tell you who to vote for, and I think there should be separation of church and state. But if it feels like this is real political and extra, it's because it's really not political, it's spiritual. See, what happened is about 500 years after Jesus went back to heaven, died on the cross, and the gospel was spreading across the planet, a guy named Muhammad is visited by what he called an angel. Now, the Bible tells us that after the gospel is complete, after Jesus goes and Paul writes out the rest of the epistles, that even if an angel shows up to tell you something different from the Bible, it's not from God. Because you know what else is a fallen angel? It's called a demon. That's how you get the book of Moroni, which is the Mormons. They get angel visits. And that whole, the whole religion of Islam was a demon visiting Muhammad, telling him, hey, the Bible got it wrong. It wasn't Isaac. It was actually Ishmael that God wanted to use. And so it's not the Jews that should be in the promised land. It should be the Arabs that are there. And the entire religion of Islam, which is spreading and growing faster, by the way, than Christianity is today, I think is demon inspired because it just pulls people away from God's plan for their life. And I know some of you are like, we're not. You need to know the truth. I might be the only one that'll ever tell it to you. So when we look at Sarai pushing Hagar into Abram's tent, and God going ahead and using that and turning that and still loving Hagar in spite of it is not an example for you to be like, no, I'm going to do that. And I know you're like, well, I was never going to do the Hagar Sarah thing. What I'm saying is there's some great stories in our church of some people who have really messed up their lives, some really bad choices that were made. Those are not for you to go, well, see, I'll make their same dumb choices and it'll still work out good for me. It's those of us with some scars in here and some gray hair or lack of hair or some wrinkles, I need you guys stepping up, telling some of these younger people like, hey, Pastor Josh is right. This is the, do things God's way. Don't just, don't look at my, I'm glad that God graciously has brought healing or release from an addiction or help to my marriage. I'm glad God's done that. That's a great testimony for God. But that's not, doesn't mean that you should go do the same dumb things. Stop sleeping around. Stop pursuing your own self. Stop working yourself to death and caring more about a paycheck than you care about your family. You guys who have made the mistake should be speaking truth into it because here's what I want you to write down, whether it comes from Sarah or the person sitting next to you. It's this, testimonies are great reminders of God's provision. They are not examples of his preferences. This is not like, oh, I want you to do that. No, no, no. God's saying, I can take what I didn't like and make something good out of it, but I would rather you just do it the right way. 
How much heartache would Abram have saved his family if he had done it God's way? How much heartache would Jacob have saved his family if he did it right? How much would David have saved himself if he didn't have all those wives? How, many, how much heartache would Solomon have saved himself if he didn't have a thousand wives? All of their, all of their I'm gonna do it my way. Yes, God used it, but it broke up a lot of things. It damaged a lot of God's path. So you and I are on a path, and as soon as it gets bumpy, as soon as it gets uncomfortable, we go do our own thing. But what you gotta understand about your own path is it might be smooth. The Bible says that the highway to hell is nice and big and everybody goes on it, and the path to Jesus is narrow and it's actually tough and it's not chosen by a lot of people because the path that God has for you might be bumpy, and the road that Satan tempts you with is always a cheap counterfeit, but that is a road that takes you off of a cliff. And you drive yourself off a cliff or you drive your family off of a cliff because God had you on a, on a bumpy road. What? And it didn't get better for Hagar. I mean, God blessed her, but did you see what the angel said to her? Did you see what the angel said? Look at it. Verse number nine. Hey, Hagar, I want you, this is what the angel's speaking. The angel said, uh, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. What? Are you kidding me? Go back? You want, God, you want me to go back to Sarai? She sucks. She's the worst. I don't want that old man. I don't want her. They're mean to me. I didn't ask for this. I just got out of there. What do you think I'm doing in the desert? I'm running away from all of that. Am I the only one that reads it that way? You guys are looking at me like, ah. I'm just put, if I was, if I was Hagar, that's how I would feel. I'm a, I'm a young slave girl taken away from my family, taken out of my country, put into this, into this servitude. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be pregnant with this guy's baby. I don't want my mistress treating me horribly. I hate my life. And what does God tell her? Go back. What? Why would God do that? Doesn't God love her? Why wouldn't God take her away from all those horrible things? See, this is where American Christianity has jacked up people. We think that if we love us some Jesus, then it, all, then it should be all rainbows and sunshine and unicorn kisses. And it's not. The Bible never says that. Prosperity gospel and faith word people say that. That's not from the Bible. God, just because you love you some Jesus doesn't mean everything will be great. That is not God's word. See, what you got to understand is when God takes you to the Red Sea, he doesn't make the Red Sea disappear. He makes a way for you to go through the Red Sea. When God puts a, a fiery furnace in front of you, he doesn't remove the fiery furnace. He jumps into the fiery furnace with you. What some of you need to write down is simply this. God's rescue doesn't always mean removal. Dear God, I don't like my job. Give me a new job. Hey, how about you go back to that job and be a testimony for me? <sighs> Dear God, I don't like the marriage I'm in. Give me a new husband. Give me a new wife. No, how about you learn to be a, a better spouse? How about you learn to serve them and point them to how I want them to be? Don't bail. Oh, I don't, don't call me. Don't, I, I gotta hate this school. I hate the bus I ride on. I hate the kids I'm friends with. I hate the family I'm born in. God, let me do this. And God might be saying, you know what? I actually have you there for a reason. Yes, it's tough. But yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you is what God has said. He doesn't say he'll take away the problem. He says he'll help you to go through the problem. 
See, a lot of you are mad that the road got bumpy and all you want is a smooth road. And because God doesn't give you a smooth road, then you're all upset with him. Do you recognize that any of the wisdom you have today or any of the character you have today came from you having to go through a slightly tough time? You're not a better person today because everything was handed to you. Some of the worst people you know are the spoiled people who never had to work for anything, never had to struggle for anything, never had to learn anything. It's the opposition in life that teaches you, that develops you, that grows you. And if you never face any opposition, if you never have any scary times, if you don't have any bumpy roads, you're not going to grow into be more of the person that God's called you to be. You're going to stay weak and shallow. You need a little bit of opposition. You need, you need to be tested in your faith. You need to be outside of your comfort zone from time to time. So just because you're praying for God to take something away doesn't mean he will take it away the way you want him to. This is what he says in Isaiah 41, verse 10. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, because I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Tell me where in that verse it says, I will take away all your problems. He doesn't. He says, but I will walk with you through them. So maybe you're having a struggle in your marriage. Maybe you're not getting along with your parents right now. Maybe there is a health issue and you can't, you can't seem to figure out why the doctors keep saying one thing. And maybe there's a bill that you don't know how you're gonna pay. I don't know what it is, but stop asking God, like, God, you gotta make all this stuff go away. No, he doesn't. He just says, I'll walk with you through it. Because what he said is, he says, this earth is not your home. You're just passing through. If the earth is uncomfortable, if this world is broken, you're a pilgrim here. This isn't your home. I've called you to glory to be with me in eternity. Don't get so upset that everything isn't great. Your life is just a vapor. It appears for a short time, then it disappears. You get today, as bumpy as this road is, as uncomfortable as it is, you get today to start investing in eternity. So if it sucks today, praise God, you're storing up treasures for all time. You don't have to get so upset. You don't have to be so mad that it's not working out the way you exactly want it to. Philippians 4, 6 says this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Well, I'm pretty good at worrying. Yeah, and you're pretty bad at praying. Switch them around. Put the energy into praying. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. See, if you spend some time just thanking God, in the middle of the bumper road, well, the air conditioning went out and it's so hot. Well, roll a window down and start thanking God that he still gave you fresh air to breathe through the window. Stop whining about all the things you don't like about the trip and just say, God, thank you that you're taking me. Thank you that you're letting me be a part of this journey. Thank you that you're still using me. Thank you that you have a purpose for my life. You haven't taken me home yet. I'm not dead, so you're not done. I think I can just keep trusting you to do something more in my life. That's when you will experience God's peace, the verse says. Next verse, verse seven. The peace that exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The reason some of you don't have peace is because you bailed out on God's plan. When you learn to trust him, even on the bumpy roads, even on the times you don't get it, that's where he will give you a peace that passes the ability to be understood. Now, I need you to understand, it will require you having a really tough conversation. Did you notice what the angel asked Hagar when he found her? Look at verse eight and we'll close. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant. By the way, you need to understand the Bible never calls uh, Hagar Abram's wife. Sarah is Abram's wife. Just because Sarah and Hagar think that, they, that she's, the Bible never claims that. Hagar, Sarah's wife, Sarah's, sorry, Sarah's handmaid, Sarah's servant. 
where have you come from and where are you going? Do you guys understand God didn't lose her? It wasn't like God was asking, like, hey, where were you? Where, I, where were you? God wasn't up in heaven and be like, oh, I just got distracted. <laughs> Hagar, Hagar. God's all-knowing and all-powerful. So if he shows up and he asks a question, it's not because he needs information. It's because he's trying to teach us something through the question. So why would he ask her the question, where have you come from and where are you going? You see, what he's asking her to do is he's asking her to do some inventory. I love that verse. Where you come from and where are you going? Because it's the same question I think God's asking us today. Josh, how'd you get here? Now, we all got reasons of how we got here, right? When the angel of the Lord shows up in your life and he says, hey, how'd, how'd you get in this spot? Oh, well, you gotta understand. Yeah. What decisions did you make that allowed you to be in this position? See, now we can start learning. Then he also says, hey, where do you think you're going? What's your plan for what's next? I read to you last week a verse from Jesus when he was speaking to his, his disciples and the people that were gathering around him. He actually said this in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily, which means die to yourself and what you want and follow me. What does it mean to give up your way? I mean, some of you are going to have to learn to do what Hagar did and give up your all your excuses, all of your reasons. Why are you here? Don't, don't give me this long list of all the stuff that's broken. Let's talk about where we're heading. As long as you keep hanging on to your past and all the things that happened to you, you're never gonna move forward in my purpose for you. See, Hagar was moving into the desert because she just wanted to die because her life was so bad. Everything sucked. There was no reason to live. She had nothing but problems. God, just leave me alone. Don't you know how bad I've had it? And he says, let's talk about how bad you've had it. Let's take care of it because I want to deal not just with your future. I want to deal with your past. I want to take that away. Some of you are listening to this message and you're like, I wish I was Hagar. As bad as her life is, my life has been worse. Maybe that's true. I don't know. But see, here's what going on the right path is going to require. God's path is going to require you surrendering your pain, your past, and your purpose. Pastor Josh, you don't know what happened to me. You don't know what was done to me when I was a little kid. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how people have hurt me and, and, and what, was, what was said or what was done in my past marriage. You don't know the addictions I struggled through. You don't know what I've had. You don't know what's going on. You're right, I don't, but God does. And he says, listen, what I have for you is better than what you've got right now. I wanna take you on the best path for you. And you living in your pain and living in the past and living in, with your plan and what you think is best, that will not work out well for you. That is not my, what you want to do is not my best for you. I have a better plan. The Bible says he can do exceedingly abundantly beyond and above anything that you could think of. The best that you could come up for, for yourself, God's actually got a better plan for you, but it's going to require you trusting him. How do I do that? I try to give you guys this verse at least once a month. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord, not in yourself. Don't lean on your ability to figure it out. 
people in here, those of you that are like me, you have to have the plan. You have to be the one with the answers. No, not if God is the Lord of your life. Trust him with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understandings. In all of your ways, in every area of your life, acknowledge him. Ask him what his will is. And that's when he'll show you what path to take. Some of you need to tattoo that, those two verses on your forearm and look at them every day. If you don't believe in tattoos, write them on an index card and put it on the mirror that you get, you get ready in front of. Every day, I gotta stop trusting myself and start trusting him. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up. I wanna give you one final example because some of you are hearing me say this. You want me to trust God? That's easier said than done. I want you to remember something. When Jesus Christ was on his way to die on the cross for you. The Bible says that he spent his last hours in a garden. He was in the garden, he was praying. He knew, now he was 100% man, so he had nerves and, and he, had, he had pain, he had muscles, he had bones, he had everything that you and I have, but he was also 100% God, which means he knew what was coming. He knew crucifixion was in the near future for him. And if you don't understand crucifixion, the Romans invented crucifixion to scare people because it was so painful. It was so brutal. He knew that he was about to be falsely arrested, falsely accused. He was going to go through a mock trial. They were going to beat him, punch him, spit on him, kick him, nail thorns onto his head. They were going to whip his back until it looked like hamburger. They were going to pull his arms out and nail them to a cross. And he was going to go through all of that pain, not because he ever committed a single sin, because he hadn't, he was perfect, but because you and I had sinned. And we couldn't get rid of our sin. So we see Jesus say this in Mark chapter 14, verse 36. Abba, Father, he cries out. Everything's possible for you, Dad. You can do whatever you want. If it's, if it's possible, can you take this cup of suffering away from me? I'm struggling through this right now. Can, can this not be part of the plan? But yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus surrendered his purpose, even though it included the literal cross. So when he tells us, take up your figurative cross, he's saying, just follow my example. Have a heart that says, God, whatever you want for me. See, when you surrender all of your pain, all your past, all your purpose, what you do is you open yourself up to this beautiful road that God has for you. And here's what I want to encourage you. I don't know how much time you have left. I don't know if God will give you one more year on this planet, but let's say he does. Let's say God gives you one more year. What if this next year was the first year of your life that you truly surrendered it to God? where you were truly available for whatever he wanted, where it wasn't you in control, you didn't say no, you didn't say, well, what if? You didn't say, maybe we should do it this way. I'll do that later, God. How about half of that? You just said, God, however you wanna use me, my time, my testimony, my treasure, my talents, they're yours. I'm completely surrendered. You have whatever, you have your way, your will be done, whatever you want with me. What if this next year was the most powerful year of your life? This, was the next, this next year was gonna be the first year that you had that level of impact for the kingdom of God. It will only happen if you are truly surrendered. You can't come into it with your agenda. You can't come into it with all your pain and all your, all your issues and using those as excuses. Lay those down. He knows you're hurting. Tell him, say, God, this is what's in my past and this is what's hurting and I'm trusting you with it. And even if he calls you to go back into that, know that his plan for you is better than your plan for you.
And this is where we're going to struggle, but it comes down to faith. So what I'm going to ask you to do is close your eyes, bow your head. I'm going to pray out loud, but I want you to pray right where you're at and just do a little bit of business with God. Dear only Father, Lord, we come before you. This is a room filled with people. God, the people online, the people in the overflow, all of us, Lord, we're messed up people, but yet you said that we can learn from Hagar and from Abram and from Sarai. Lord, don't let us be the kind of people who get impatient and try to do things our way. God, maybe today you had some of us hear this message simply because we were, we were growing impatient and we were about to make a huge mistake. Lord, thank you. God, for those of us who've already screwed up royally, we thank you that you're the God of grace and mercy who shows up and helps us. Turn turn mistakes into testimonies. So Lord, we're looking for you to show up powerfully. Forgive us for the times that we didn't trust you. And Lord, we ask that you would take the bad and turn it for good in a way that only you can. But God, this morning we pray right now, Lord, that you would work in our hearts, that we, we might recognize that we have a call to something greater than our own desires. Forgive us for trying to take control. Forgive us for bailing out when it got tough. God, give us the strength Give us a chance to remember what it is you've called us to, which is to love you, to serve you, to trust you. God, we get scared because we can't see how it's gonna work out. We're mad at the world. We're, we're hurting from the things that we feel are unjust. And yet, God, you said that you have everything figured out and you have a plan that's better than ours. And what it really comes down to is trusting you. So Lord, today we ask that you would help us just trust you. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for the times that we, we don't do that and help us to walk out of this room, to leave this message looking more like Jesus than how we started. And Lord, I pray for the person, the man, the woman, the boy, the girl who's hearing this message. And Lord, they have not trusted you for the first time. They do not know what surrender to you looks like. They don't know what it means to have a Lord and a savior of their life. God, I pray that right now in this moment, you said that if we would confess our sins, if we would admit that we're broken and that we can't fix ourselves, you said that if we, if we would just admit that and confess that, that you, God, are the only way that we can get to heaven. You, Lord Jesus, are the only way that we can have forgiveness of sins, that not only would you take all of our sin away, but you would give us a home in heaven one day when we take our last breath. So Lord, we ask that you would be with the person who right now needs to trust you as their savior. God, would you help us, Lord, to get on this path that you've called us to and actually start making some real progress, surrendered to you for a change. We ask this and we pray this in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.